0: Hello, this is Groucho Marx. You're listening to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast.
1: Now get a hobby, will you? Welcome to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. Episode 3, You Don't Have to Pay Us, But You Can't Fire Us. Featuring Noah Diamond, Bob Gasell, Matthew Conium, and our special guest, Frank Ferrante. Well, here we are. It's episode 3. I've been monitoring the feedback. And this time round, as well as not being too agreeable, we also can't be too disagreeable. And (laughs) not only that, I'm not allowed to do any more Groucho impressions. I don't know if it was my uncanny rendition of My Bonnie Lies Over the Ocean (laughs) that caused the trouble, or if it was my poignant recreation of The Elder Groucho on The Dick Cavett Show. Anyway, whichever it is, the public have spoken. I'm a servant of the public. And, uh, I promise that the Groucho impressions this time will be left in the, frankly, unsafe hands of Noah Diamond and Frank Ferrante. That doesn't mean, though, that when we get round to discussing Sig Ruman, I'm not going to say the curtain, Mr. Driftwood, will go up again next season. So we'll just have we'll just have to play it by ear. Anyway, we thought that this time round, we would do something a bit different and devote an entire podcast to the discussion of just one film. And we chose A Day at the Races for the simple reason that of, of all the Brothers films, it's really the only one that features Douglas Dumbrill, but isn't set in a department store. <laughs> and not only that, it's it's probably the the single Marx Brothers movie that most divides opinion and that has most fluctuated over the years in terms of its, its critical status. Some people think of it as the beginning of the end, others as a, a joyous end to the beginning. Many put it at or very near the top of their all-time favourites, just as many plonk it right down to the bottom. But what I think we would all agree on is that both retrospectively and on original release, it is and was one of their most important films and one of their most interesting. So that's kind of why we, we hit on it. And it was certainly of considerable importance to our special guest today. Uh, he really needs no introduction, not least because I've said his name twice already. But let the record state that he's an actor, A writer and a director who the New York Times has called the greatest living interpreter of Groucho Marx's material. As a mere boy and a beardless youth, he was personally chosen by Groucho's son Arthur to appear in the play Groucho A Life in Review, in which he portrayed the title role from youth all the way up to old age, stopping off at all points in between. And these days, he tirelessly tours his one man show, An Evening with Groucho, all around America and the world. His name is, of course, Frank Ferrante. And we're tickled to death to welcome him to the Marx Brothers Council podcast. Frank, how's it going?
0: Well, thank you for that, Matthew. Hello, hello, Bob. Hello, Noah. Hello, it's a treat to be included. Thank you. Yes, it is a a big deal. this This film is huge for me. I am, you know, as as we record this, I am about a block and a half from the Santa Anita Racetrack. By the way, Hmm. which I think is very appropriate, considering so much of the film was shot at at Santa Anita. And um, I can hear, I can hear the uh, announce the uh, the uh, races being announced uh, from outside my window at times.
2: So, are there any markers or plaques indicating that races was filmed there? You know what I
0: th- th- I don't think there there is, and there should be. I was just thinking of that as I was looking at the film again this morning. Uh, you know, I was looking at you know, of course, the you know the beautiful deco design of the Santa Anita, and thinking of the Marx brothers there and Dumont there, and and uh, but no, they answer to your question. There should be. It should be noted.
1: Do it at night when nobody's looking.
0: <laughs> That's exactly right. Oh my!
1: <laughs> I said at the top of the show that a day at the races was an important Marx Brothers film for you. Uh, tell us why.
0: Well, it was my first exposure to uh, comedy, vintage comedy to this to this style. Uh, I, I I think you have to be aware of where I was as a as a person. I was a nine year old. This is this is forty five plus years ago when I saw this film and i was um in a classroom uh, at a at a catholic school and i was taught by uh, uh nuns and a particular nun who was who was abusive and um it was an oppressive setting so m- at that time I, I a neighborhood friend of mine said uh, you should uh, watch these guys on tv on television they're really funny and it was like my uh, this jewish kid this was my only you know jewish pal in the neighborhood and and they'd grown up with this sensibility and this love of, of this comedy. I knew nothing I knew nothing about it. So I put the television on and there, there are the Marx brothers. And I, it took my breath away. And I'm seeing I'm seeing Groucho in this grease paint and, and Harpo and in his wig and Chico. And it's you know, when you're when you're nine, ten years old, it's all real. This felt like it was actually happening in my house. And I Thought I want to behave this way. I want to be free like like them, and I wasn't maybe consciously aware of that. But I, it's it completely lifted me and exhilarated me seeing these three wild men, and that was it. And I went. I watched the film. It was during there was an, after, an afternoon viewing in, in my living room, and I went home that night and started uh, enacting the scene. You know the sunup scene, the uh, Tootsie Frutsi ice cream scene with my brother. Mm-hmm. And just that became a thing, a regular thing doing doing those routines with my brother at night, and I had a copy of Wya Duck, and we would do the bits from Wya Duck mm-hmm. and would do scenes but um, I loved their rhythms, and i loved I loved Groucho being bamboozled by Chico, and I loved Chico's conning nature, all of it was thrilling, and uh it felt subversive and it I sensed the irreverence of it. All the things I wanted to be uh in in my classroom, so i it had a huge impact on me, and that i think i i f- was feeling that I could see life differently and life wasn't just the way it was in in a classroom uh that I was in and I, and that really it became it it, hit, it it struck me on a on a very personal level
1: I think that's coming to all of us to be honest i mean wherever whichever film we started with it was that that feeling that this mm-hmm. is almost a kind of um an escape route uh you know a, mm-hmm. a, a way a way of kind of asserting oneself because uh i think you know a lot of us obviously aren't aren't the uh the high school football star or whatever you know and and it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a different it's a different way of of making yourself known isn't it it's a different way of kind of making a mark i remember um, my history teacher uh, passing my desk and seeing that there was a copy of Harpo Speaks on my desk. And he just said under his breath, hmm, that explains a lot, and walked by. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> wow. So what are your thoughts on the film now uh, compared to when you were a youngster?
0: You know, it's funny. I, uh, I, I think some uh, Groucho has some re- remarkable moments in it. Uh, when he peels off, and I knew it all along, hey, you're looking at the Doc, you're looking at yourself when he's examining Harpo mm-hmm. and when he, when he starts to dance off like that
2: mm-hmm. and
0: swings his body around uh, to me, it's transcendently funny. I, I to me, I look at the, at the genius of that kind of physicality. Um, and, but you're, your answer your question. You know, I, I, I'm not crazy about the fact that they're, you know, rooting for the lovers and and <laughs> advocating for the lovers. And, uh, but boy, the block scenes are brilliant. And you can imagine how they evolved on stage, and I like to do that when I'm watching a day at the Razor. I like to think what think about what they started with on the page, and uh, that that to me is fascinating. As someone who um, uh, who's, who is in the theater who creates new work,
1: that's a, a very good point you make actually about about the um, the, the block scenes because I, I was watching it today and it struck me um it's very very obvious even more than uh, a night at the opera that this is a film that from the very first has been conceived with that that pre-filming tour in mind um Mm -hmm. the 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 sketches are are self-contained they're self-explanatory uh Mm -hmm. everything is adaptable to the stage but it's also it's 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 also the kind of thing that would go over extremely well on stage like the wallpaper sketch and so on and then, you know, as, as Joe notes in his book, the job was sort of when they get back to Hollywood, how do we string this all together somehow? Whereas in opera, I, mm-hmm. think, I think the process was a lot more organic. But here, I think they, they have just started with, with chunks, with sketches that, that, that play, you know, Socko sketches that, that play brilliantly to a live audience.
0: Right. And, and, and to get back to you know, what, what, what feeling is on this film, I, I'm, I'm always, I love it when Groucho is in a position of power. Mm-hmm. And there's no, and ex- Bob, we, 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 in prepping for this, we, Bob, you and I talked about the fact. We don't, I, we're neither one of us are crazy about any kind of backstory. I don't need to see Groucho as, you know, with a puppy or as the veter- veterinarian. I don't, I don't want to see that. I just want to know that he's this mad creation that, that right. takes over.
2: It seems like MGM was determined to give a justification and explanation for all the comedy, but uh, basically all they did was undermine it with all the, unnecessary exposition.
3: Mhm.
2: we're talking about story really
0: and and how they're placed mm-hmm. within the story what is their role with the story and that's that that's that doesn't always thrill me when I see uh, a, a night at the opera a day at the races but boy there's that the production value is, is stunning and the and the, uh, the the character actors are
4: incredibly
0: <laughs> affecting <laughs> I think.
4: The comparison is informative between the two films, I, I think, on, mm-hmm. on my recent rewatch of Races, um, right at the very beginning, the very first scene, which is in some ways a mirror image of the first scene in opera. Mm-hmm. One of the strengths of opera is that the moment it begins, you instantly have Groucho on stage doing great comedy. Uh, Day of the Races gives us Chico right at the top, mm-hmm. and you think for a moment, all right, this is going to be – we're getting right into it. Um, but it takes us a while to figure out who Chico is here. And when he says, you know, as we like to reference a lot, you don't have to pay me, but you can't fire me <laughs> – it's almost like that's a Marx Brothers suicide note, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he might as well say, oh, Mrs. Rittenhouse, I, I couldn't possibly accept payment for not rehearsing. You know, <laughs> It just wouldn't be right. Oh. Uh, but then uh, but then he does get around to uh, we've got to hurry before she changes her mind, mm-hmm. which is almost, uh, it's a glimpse of who Chico is supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just a dash of the absurdity we want. Um, he's already convinced himself that, uh, that that he's won her over.
1: I I was struck by something rewatching the the, the very first scene today um, because um, uh, unlike Frank, it was it was far from the first one I saw. It was actually one of the last. But by an odd quirk of fate, it was the first MGM that I saw. Um, We all come from a a unique generation or, or group of generations in between the original audiences who saw the films when they were made and in the order they were made. Uh, and audiences now who can obviously watch them whenever they want in whatever order they want on, on DVD. We were kind of at the mercy of when they showed up on TV or when they showed up mm-hmm. on uh, on uh, rep, uh, rep cinemas. And and simply by that that random process, I saw all the Paramounts and Room Service and a night at the, uh, night in Casablanca and Love Happy before I saw any MGMs. And this was the first one I saw. <laughs> And you can imagine that very first scene uh, with the, the 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 train with the bell ringing. Um, it's it's all in this this beautiful bright natural light. The photography is pin sharp. Uh, then you see Chico, okay. and you can you can make out the the fabric of his costume. You can see his skin tones. Uh, it, it's radically different, or it seemed to me that way, because it, it, it's an odd thing actually. If you if you look at those Paramount films, there's almost literally no natural light in any of them. I, I think in the first two there's literally none. There's about two seconds in a mon- in Monkey Business, a little bit in uh, Horse Feathers and Duck Soup, uh, but but really not much at all. Uh, but this film, it's so sunny, it's drenched in sun. Uh, it, right. it was just a radically different experience.
0: I, you know, it's, it's something I was thinking about. I, I agree with you. It's, it, it's, it's odd. It's, it is different. Uh, but I have to say it's, I think the setting doesn't help the cause that the fact that it is at a, <laughs> a racetrack, yep. it's like being at a circus. And to me, you know, there's something already rogue about and, and subversive and illicit about a racetrack, you know? And it's like, to me, it's like, it's becomes a bit nutty on nutty and, and, um, rogue on rogue i feel that way about at mm. the circus too it's like the last place i would put the marx brothers is in a circus uh but you want to put them in an opera is where you want them or at a university or at a society party and i think that for me is part of it is that it's 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 not it's not an austere as beautiful as mm. the san Anita racetrack is mm-hmm. uh and then with that beautiful deco architecture it's it's just in terms of it, the institution doesn't serve the comedy
4: um theoretically i guess the sanitarium should be that the sanitarium should be the stuffy backdrop mm-hmm. for the anarchic humor um but it only occasionally we never really serves that purpose. Get That's there, do we? no no and of course joe makes the very good point that
1: that no no sort of tie-up is ever made that groucho is a horse doctor mm-hmm. and he's now at a racetrack that the two the two right. worlds are never <laughs> never tied
0: it's funny where i was right. watching it this morning and uh uh, Groucho's, <laughs> Groucho's doing the exam on Dumont, and uh, and my daughter said to me, "Wasn't wasn't he just tell her that
2: he's a horse doctor?"
0: What's the matter? <laughs> yeah, <He's> still. <laughs> I said, "Well, you're right."
2: <laughs> I keep coming back to the fact that everything is well done individually. The, yeah. the comedy is pretty good. The romance is not bad, and the music's very good. It's right. Just, the oh. proportions just seem way off, and. You know, it's one of those things where the whole is less than the sum of the parts.
0: For me, the the comedy could be have it could be edgier. I, I love when yeah. Groucho's yeah. mean. I mean, I just love it when he lays into DeMont in Duck Soup. And I keep yeah. I was looking at that first scene between the two of them, thinking, I'm, and and with uh, Whit, with Whitmore, I'm 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 wanting him to lay in to to yeah. and have a, and and the teeth are a little. Um, I want the fangs to come out a bit. You yeah, know?
2: but we're at MGM now, so we sort yeah. of know going in that that's not happening, so we just have to enjoy no. the joy for what it is. I know, but I keep I keep thinking it's going to happen. <laughs> hope against hope.
4: Well, it it does happen a lot more often in Night at the Opera, mm-hmm. and the sort of the uniqueness of a Night at the Opera, the fact that it does embody so many of these MGM compromises, but the comedy and particularly the Groucho comedy remains so strong. Um, it it seems to let MGM off the hook a little bit. Mm-hmm. But one of the things when we look at these films closely, we we often find, don't we, that Trends in Marx Brothers movies look like they actually begin a film or two earlier than we thought. Uh, Like Matthew, you've made the point that the the idea of imposing an alien vision on the brothers, yes. which we think of as a Thalberg thing, is also kind of a Leo McCarry thing, um, in a different way. And I think, in a sense, the late MGM Groucho begins in a day at the races. Um, I mean, he doesn't have Bazell telling him, you know, just be as spastic as you can and <laughs> and, and and put this plate of black scrambled eggs on your head. But it is the first time we see Groucho at length grappling with material that's not always gold Mm -hmm. and he's still in this movie you know very close to his prime and and sparkles but you can see sometimes his um calculations seem to be about how do i sell a line (laughs) like uh for you i'd make love to a crocodile you know right the kind of thing he does a lot of eyebrow rising
1: doesn't he in this one
4: yes
2: well one of the things i've read is that during the stage tour for races groucho refused to punch the material with uh, eyebrow wiggles and weirs because he knew they would always get a laugh. He wanted the material to live or die on its own and get a true response.
4: Yeah. And the writers knew that. Mm-hmm. Well, before we
1: leave the first scene, just one, one point I wanted to make about um, Maureen O'Sullivan uh, as Judy Standish. Um, as we know, the film, in most ways, very, very carefully takes a night at the opera as its template and and uh, provides variations on that model, but she 's very different in that uh, she 's not a singer Maureen Sullivan is not a singer unlike mm-hmm. Kitty Carlisle, which means that we don't get um, we don 't get a, du- a romantic duet and alone was one of the big uh, selling points of a night at the opera and for some reason rather than cast uh, a singer actress they 've cast just an actress um, and It seems so surprising to me that I, I find myself wondering. If maybe Alan Jones said this time you're going to have one singer and it's going to be me, Uh, because I can't think of any other reason, really, why they wouldn't have got a nice love duet in there.
0: Good point. I I don't you know, I don't know what uh, what happened there in terms of of the casting. But I do know that in his later years, do you know the story? Alan Jones had kept uh, had a VHS and he was working up until the end of his life. And it was just his scenes from the Marx Brothers movies. Everything else was cut out. It was just the Alan Jones scenes. And I worked with an actress in in, uh, in Groucho Life and Review. I remember she was in San Bernardino at the California Theater. And she told me that story of sitting there and watching Alan Jones scenes from a night at the opera and a day at the races. That's, that's I think, if I go to hell, and it's <laughs> likely, I'll be there with Alan watching those clips. <laughs>
4: Well, I wonder if some choice was made about diegetic music, you know, because in A Night at the Opera, Jones and Carlyle are both playing singers. Mm-hmm. That's true. Um, that's and when true. they sing, the, the singers are singing. And in A Day at the Races, there's also a sort of vague nod in the direction of Gil being a singer. I want you to be a great mm-hmm. singer, not <laughs> out, you know. Um So perhaps that's the idea. Judy is not a singing sanitarium owner.
1: Mm, yes. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> the prettiest one I've ever seen. <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs>
1: okay, well, should we jump to where uh, Dr. Hackenbush arrives? Because that's really where the film uh, kicks off, isn't it? Yes. So uh, Dr. Hackenbush arrives and uh, in, uh, in one of the most uh, popular and famous and best remembered moments in the film, he doesn't sing a song. This is Dr.
5: Hackenbush, the famous medical. You're welcome, Dr. Hackenbush. If that's the case, I'll go. Oh, no, you mustn't go. Who said I mustn't go? The only reason that I came is so that I can go. I'm Dr. Hackenbush. My medical standing's very high. Well, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dr. Hackenbush. He's Dr. Hackenbush. I'm Dr. Hackenbush. As a matter of fact, to be exact, I'm Dr. Hackenbush.
3: I'm sure we all would like to hear some facts about your
5: great career. Although my horn I hate to blow, there's one thing that you ought to know. I'm Dr. Hackenbush, which all my friends will verify. Well, anyways, ladies and gentlemen, I am Dr. Hackenbush. He's Dr. Hackenbush. I'm Dr. Hackenbush. You never would guess, but nevertheless, I'm Dr. Hackenbush. For ailments, abdominal, my charge is a nominal. Though I'm great for, I've a rate for tonsillectomy. Sick and healthy, poor and wealthy, come direct to me. Oh, God bless you, they yell, when I send them home well. But they never, no, they never send a check to me. I've won a claim for curing ills, both in the north and south You'll find my name is like my pills in everybody's mouth I've never lost a case He's never lost a case I've lost a lot of patients, but I've never lost a case (laughs) My diagnosis never fails, I know just what to do Whenever anybody ails, I'm sympathetic too My heart within me melts His heart within him melts No matter what I treat them for, they die from something else When your nerves start to rock, put your faith in your doc. When you're sick, he will stick to the end. With the possible exception of your mother. a doctor's a man's best friend. Yes, a doctor's a man's best friend.
3: A doctor's a man's best friend.
5: And day, day and night On his call you can always depend. With the possible exception Of your mother and your father And your sister and your brother And your nephews and your nieces And your uncles and your cousins Whom you number by the dozens A doctor's a man
2: That of course is not from the film, but from a 1945 radio show.
0: One of the joys of my existence has been having the joy of singing that thing hundreds and hundreds of times, and mm. listening to audiences laugh at the lyrics. And uh, I I I do that song as Groucho in my show, and the, the the song it stops three or four times sometimes for them to laugh and applaud. That's that's the that's the persona of Groucho and, and the. Of course, the tune lyrics
2: that are so fun and so funny. So in studying for the show, I was looking at the Marx Brothers scrapbook. And there's an interview with uh, George Seaton, mm-hmm. one of the writers of Races. And he claims that it was Irving Thalberg who actually uh, decided mm-hmm. to pull the song uh, from the film. And since Thalberg didn't live much in the filming, it must have been before they shot it. But uh, anyhow, I was trying to figure out why Thalberg would have anything against the Song that everybody seems to love. And the best that I could come up with is that the song um, has Groucho bragging about what a bad doctor he is, which is not <laughs> in line with the character he's doing on screen, who's trying to hide the fact that he's not qualified.
4: Well, it, it, it feels much more like the Paramount Groucho mm-hmm. and it's very much in the tradition of especially Captain Spaulding, but also Groucho's entrance songs in, in Monkey Business and uh, in Horse Feathers, excuse me, and Duck Soup. Mm-hmm. And Thalberg never really lets Groucho sing. Um, I mm. wonder if Lydia would have made it into At the Circus right. if, if Thalberg had mm. been around. I love that. I've never lost a case. I've never lost a case. I've lost a lot of patience, but I've never lost a case.
2: It's also funny that he's not joking about being a horse doctor. He's joking about not being a good regular doctor. For mm, mm,
3: reason.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Joe makes the point that, the, the the Hackenbush that that has that dialogue is not the same Hackenbush that sings that song. There is a fundamental uh, incompatibility between mm-hmm. the two, which does make it sort of mysterious. I know Arthur, in his first book about his father, says that it was it was Groucho himself who 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 cut it because he couldn't be bothered to rehearse the you know the choreography and I so can't on. Be- I can't believe. Well, yeah. well, I find that hard to a believe. Note. But that's what he says, yeah.
0: And there's all this talk of whether it was shot or, or does it exist? Mm. Because at the premiere, he sang it at the premiere on a radio show, and I was talking to John Tefteller about that. You know, the, the great archivist uh, of, of of things of things marks, <laughs> and uh, he he thinks that uh, it may have been shot, but it, it's lost. I, what is the what? Do we know what the? Does anyone what an – feeling on that or,
2: there's no yeah. evidence it was ever shot there's no point in the film where you go oh that's where it would have right. fit there's no obvious point when groucho makes his entrance yeah. it's a pretty self-contained scene and it doesn't look like it would have fit there at all because there's not many people in the room yeah i think yeah. i think teller's
0: argument was because he sang it the night of the premiere that perhaps it was in an er- earlier versions but uh, i guess that's not the case
2: well, it was done on the road tour. Uh, oh yeah, I think it was Adamson who said that uh, Groucho pretty much performed the song everywhere except for the movie.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, it doesn't. It hasn't seemed to have survived as a as a pre-record. And i i, I don't think it I don't think it was shot. I think it was cut early on but 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 you know it's very hard to understand why but then you know alan jones's big number the uh, the message from the man in the moon wasn't was cut as well mm-hmm. so the editorial decisions are are quite uh strange throughout so it's
2: it's hard to tell you would think there'd be some stills of the film or, or a recording or something. Exactly, and, you know, yes. It would have shown right. up in one of the That's Entertainment films, you know, where they had all those great lost performances.
4: Yeah. And Groucho was so pleased to be a doctor and, you know, sang it at every opportunity mm-hmm. after this and signed Hackenbush to letters mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to imagine that he was responsible for yeah, I agree. it not being included. I'm with you.
0: Yeah. I, I don't know, I don't know what, what actor of any caliber would agree to that. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know, cut my big number, please. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> Who needs the laughs and more more screen time? And you know
4: what? Keep the paycheck too. Yeah. You don't have to pay me.
0: <laughs>
1: okay. Well, then some some plot happens. Something about a, a sanatorium or something. I've never really got to grips with it. Uh, but then after that, there's mm-hmm. the ice cream sketch, which is probably, mm-hmm. I think, the most famous bit of the film. Would we Would we agree?
0: Well, that was that was the first scene that I'd that I remember hitting me. Uh, the first comedy scene of theirs uh, i loved it of course and uh it's it you know as now it feels i feel this how it's it's softer uh, in terms of how it hits me uh you know it, again if, if groucho was in a position of power i think would have been m- even more potent but i love i still love their inner their interaction and their timing is impeccable of course and beautiful and, and 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 you know the and the writing's great
1: it's beautifully done no question yeah yeah, I mean, my my idiosyncratic test for, for in the Marx Brothers kind of Marx Brothers scenes that I like the most is is could anyone else do it? And I think it's fair to say that any other right. comedian could do this almost certainly not as well. But they wouldn't have to rewrite it, whereas a lot of the great Chico Groucho scenes, you know, no other comedians could do it. So this one is slightly different in that it's it's, you know, it's a comedy scene that, that you or I could could do. But but no question, it's beautifully written. It's beautifully played. It's, it's good stuff. Z V B X R P L. Page
5: 34. Hey, ice cream. I can't make head or tail out of this. That's all right. Look in the Master Code book. That'll tell you where to look. Master Code? I haven't got any master code book. You know, got a master code book? No. Do you? Uh, do you know where I can get one? Well, uh, just by accident, I think I got a one right here. <laughs> there you are. A lot of quick accidents around here for a quiet neighborhood. Just a minute. Uh, is there a printing charge on this? No. Oh, thanks. <laughs> just a two-dollar delivery charge. What do you mean, delivery charge? I'm standing right next to you. Well, for such a short distance, I make it a dollar. Couldn't I move over here and make it? Uh, Fifty cents. Yes, but I'd move over here and make it a dollar, just
0: the same. As a first, one, of the, a first comedy scene that I experienced of the of the Marx Brothers, I, I was aware of the 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 filial connection, the, the brother, the fraternal connection. Uh, that yes. they're they're so comfortable with each other that when Groucho throws a book, Chico's gonna nab it. That uh, the way mm-hmm. the way the way Chico yeah. loads up books, there's a there is a confidence and a comfort and a connection that comes from brotherhood. And decades of performing together, and that on not on, on an unconscious level hit me, and was and um, I, I appreciated it. I knew something special was going on with these two, and that they have a long history together. This is not the first time these two have been on on screen or on <laughs> stage together. And to me, I, I love the nuance of of their physicality with each other and And the rhythms, you know just that one beat, mm. knowing when to you know when to come in on the line, when to get off uh all that is is in play, and uh is a sight to be behold
1: something that struck me for the very first time today when I was watching it was it's when when Groucho becomes chico when he when he has no option left other than to take on the scam himself. As he walks away with the cart, and he's dumped all those books back in the cart, the books that are between his knees are still between his knees. He walks away with books between his <laughs> knees.
2: That's good. When the scene starts, there's a lot of people milling around, but, but within about 20 seconds, they all disappear. Yes. Uh, except for those guys in the ticket windows. <laughs> I noticed on
4: recent rewatch that it, something that seems to begin with this scene, and I think it, it lasts most of the film, is that the most memorable and iconic, like little moments are no longer the big laughs, um, but they are still there. And things like Chico's Tootsie Fritzy Ice Cream chant, you know, it's, it's not funny in and of itself, but it gives some useful punctuation to the scene, and it sets up Groucho at the very end. Um, and then the, uh, enigmatic power of the letters Z-V-B-X-R-P-L, which <laughs> any Marx Brothers fan in the world knows that. Mm-hmm. that Those letters, and it's launched a million license plates. Yeah. And, um, I'm sure half the council, if you want to try to figure out what their passwords are, <laughs> yeah, <right>. that's probably <laughs> what it is. Shoot.
0: One second, I'm changing my password. One, hold on. Okay, go. Going
2: forward. Yeah, I need to ask this question, though. Did Chico have these books in his cart the whole time? Uh, even when Harpo was trying to reach in earlier in the film.
4: Oh, that's true. And and the books seem to work the way they should. Mm. I mean, you actually can find the jockey's name. <laughs> and which and it does have code book written on the front if you pause it. <laughs> yeah. You zoom in. Yeah.
1: <laughs> in beautiful script. <laughs> it's written beautifully <laughs> right. on front of the
4: code book. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's an MGM code mm. book. Mm. Yeah. Mm. At Paramount, the code books were a mess. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> And then we get Judy ripping Gil's messages in
1: half. Yeah, all, all sorts of stuff like that happens. <laughs> and then, uh, then we have my, actually my favorite scene, which is the Florida, Florida Medical Board phone call. Yes. Okay. Uh, uh, and the reason why it's my favorite, although it's very short and it doesn't really build and, you know, it, it, there's nothing wonderful about it. But I, I just love it because Groucho stops cringing and he starts making trouble for himself. Because it's funny. You know, he he has a very simple task to do. He could do it very easily. He could get himself out of a lot of bother. But he decides to annoy Whitmore instead. And he does it beautifully. And I love him operating that dictaphone thing with his feet.
2: I think that mm-hmm. that's yes.
1: what he's stretching out with his leg. It's not even convenient for him. It just it's just that like little extra touch. <laughs> he
4: operates it with his feet. and His, his brashness seems to gather steam at the more upset Whitmore gets, mm-hmm. which is very mm-hmm. much like the old. Dylan's yes, watching him torture
0: yeah. Whitmore is a jo- is a, is, a, is great joy.
4: It's glorious. I also love his Colonel Hawkins character. Yeah. Yeah. for some reason the Florida Medical Board director is this old Southern <laughs> gentleman.
1: I like sugar. <laughs>
0: How about the uh, the receptionist is great too. <laughs> Uh, yeah. But you know, it's a reminder of the of the again of a, for me of the vaudeville roots and the fact that they, you know they they took on different voices and it's wonderful. that dialects were he's good he's great with dialects I think he's funny as hell in that. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, when you think about it, Whitmore's is doing everyone a favor here by checking up on Hackenbush. I don't know why he's being painted as the villain <laughs> in most films like this. He's he's the hero.
1: If he if he wants to destroy the sanitarium, he should just let him get on with it. He should just leave Hackenbush yeah. to ruin it. But, but the the only person that's calling him to account is is the person who actually wants the, wants the place to fail. Yeah.
2: Well, this goes back to Matthew's pet peeve earlier in the film when Judy accepts Mrs. Upjohn's recommendation. Yes. Uh, yeah. You know, Judy doesn't really care whether he's qualified or not. She just wants Mrs. Upjohn to lay out the cash.
1: Yeah, but. But look at the guy.
4: <laughs> Just take a look at that guy with that. <laughs> it is one of the inadvertently funny lines in this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I've said, and so is my favorite, is when Dumont gets a gets a good laugh line when she says, "I never knew there was a thing the matter with me until I met you." <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, and and actually, right after the Florida Medical Board, there's another example of giving a supporting player uh, a, a a pretty good laugh line, which is we we can be slightly uncomfortable with this as Marx Brothers fans. Mm-hmm. What what's wrong with this is up, Nothing in its most violent form. <laughs> oh my
0: God! Yes.
4: <laughs> Dr. Hackenbush, Mrs. Upjohn is complaining
5: again, and these x-rays show absolutely nothing wrong with her. Is that so? Who are you going to believe, me or those crooked x-rays?
1: So we, we have a consulting room scene, which, which it, it has got a couple of good jokes in it. Uh, Groucho saying, uh, I'll put the O on now and the K on later. Um, <laughs> nothing tremendous happens, but, it, uh-huh. but it's quite nice. But what struck me is just how much like horse feathers that is. It's very much like that bit with the professors, you know, the waxing wrath scene. Oh, yeah. It's okay. very, very
4: similar to that, isn't it? Yeah, doctors, uh, like the professors, dignified mm-hmm. and foolish.
2: Yeah, yeah. And calling the uh, calling the steam room about the Frankfurters, that's about as paramount yes. as you could get for uh, MGM Groucho. Cool. Yeah.
4: Yeah. And
1: then we have the, the, the Harpo examination scene. Uh, and and again, um, Joe, Joe Adamson isn't paying me anything, but I, this is been the 400th time I've mentioned Joe Adamson today, but he makes a very good point that an enormous effort goes into getting Harpo <laughs> Uh, into the sanitarium as a patient. Uh, and then the whole idea is completely dropped,
2: isn't it? As, <laughs>
1: after that scene, no more effort is made <laughs> to get him in there. But uh, <laughs> Goodbye, <boy.
2: laughs> When Chico and Harpo have him over the barrel because they know he's a horse doctor, it should have been easy to get him in at that point, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. But I, can, I mean, why do they want him in, there, in the first place. I can't even remember why they
1: want him in there. Why do they want him in there?
2: They expose Morgan and Whitmore. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Because somehow, some way, Chico is divine that Morgan and Whitmore are working together <laughs> to get the sanitarium. How he came to this, I don't know.
5: You see that sourpuss? That's a Whitmore, the man you got to watch. You see, he's no good. He's in it with Morgan, and I think they're trying to get the sanitarium away from Miss Judy.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. So, anyway, so then we have the, the very famous uh, Harper examination scene with uh, either he's dead or my watch has stopped and, oh. and sundry other uh, memorable lines.
0: You bangy. Come on. <laughs> Come on, you bangy. Yeah, I love that one. Me I too. love the you <laughs> joke, yeah. Hold on, i get a rock now, will
5: you? Look, look, he's got a blister on his tongue. Is that what it is? Yeah, I think he's a you Well, I'll get the hammer and you bangy that right off. <laughs>
4: Hey, what is up with the sleeveless lab coat? Any insight? Well, oh, God, like, it's Grutch is showing off the guns. You know what? I'm, no, I'm I'm with you on that. I was watching, going because
0: having worked in, in in the circus with great clowns and with comic act, you know, it, you don't a com- you don't want to see a comedian's arms or, or generally <laughs> or chest. Yeah. And I've been in the situation where I played this kind of like this Latin lover character. They had a toga for me. Said so no one wants to see my scrawny shoulders. It's not funny. We want our comedians to look armored. I, I really yes. I really mean that. I mean, it's like when yes. I direct a, a yeah. comedy or a musical comedy, I mean, the body, cover the comedian's body. And someone yes. I was watching this with this morning said, what, what's with the sleeveless? Same thing you said. No, what's with the yes. sleeveless, you know, <laughs> gown? And it is it is strange that that went through. And luckily he looks, he, he, he pulls it off. But uh, it, it's 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 unusual that he's dressed like that, I think, if you're doing a comedy like that. Uh, of that style
4: it's it's so unusual that it it feels like it must be a choice but uh, Mm -hmm. i wonder why speaking of exposed mark's
0: flesh yes um (laughs) good 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 (laughs) there's the you know during harpo during harpo solo there's a bit of like you see there's on his arm is a bit of a a, 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 there's a bit of a lump there look at it carefully like like it looks like a, a, a contusion of some kind and i and i kept thinking and it's in close up i'm going why i wonder why they didn't put the um pull the sleeve up and i realized that, that kind of because of the, the way the scene shot it just that much flesh that the lightness of his flesh draws attention to the to his hands and to the finger work that was this is what i'm thinking uh, it was in in the director's mm. mind anyway you'll see now now you're going to look at that harp scene and look look for that lump
4: harpa should have that look at. <laughs>
0: Yeah, but c- <laughs> certainly Lance. You should see a good, good horse doctor. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Well,
4: by the way,
2: not a stellar job by Sam Wood here, because at the end of the scene, as the brothers are doing their funny walks out of the room, you can actually hear some young lady laughing as the scene fades out. Oh, oh really? I love it.
4: That's the manicurist. <laughs> uh, Groucher does a beautiful job sliding around with a leg full of uh, Cova cane.
2: Oh, yes. <laughs> yes.
1: Okay, well, then there's there's a... There's a water carnival of some sort, and I don't you recall. Don't really? Want to say much are you, about it. Are you sure you're on the right yeah, film? Pa- I don't recall. Apparently the there film. is.
4: Oh, you mean that three-hour <laughs> well, sequence in the middle, right?
1: Oh. My, well, my wife will never forgive me if I don't point out, and it is absolutely true, that Vivian Faye spinning round and round and round and round about twenty thousand times, then freezing with a perfect smile on her face, is incredibly impressive. There's no, no question. Doubt
2: about it. <laughs> hey, I think that was sped up. I think those turns were sped up. There's no way anybody moves that fast. That was sped up. I'm going to my grave saying that.
4: Okay. If you speed it up, I could do it. I mean, for God's sake.
1: Can you hear my wife fuming?
0: (laughs) I I sped through that entire scene. I don't think I've ever sat through it since I was a child. I just kind of fast forward, uh, quite frankly, to get to Groucho dancing with Dumont and Esther Muir.
2: Hey, we should note that there are several sources that claim that this sequence was actually tinted in the original release. Mm,
1: tinted blue. Yeah, Halliwell says that. Blue, yes.
2: Really? And that's how Blu-ray think, was yeah, that born. It would,
1: would have made it 100 times better. <laughs> <laughs> Try tinting it black
2: next time. <laughs> that happens in one of the scenes. There's a part of this water carnival that really bothers me, by the way, Uh scene where Judy and Gil get back together. First of all, he comes up and basically accosts her. He yeah. won't let her go. She's trying yeah. to get away. And she's still mad at him about hi-hat until he comes claiming that he's lying and that Hi-Hat's a lousy horse, then for yeah. some reason she totally forgives him for no, for no reason. <laughs> Completely
4: cheers up. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it inspires in Chico one of the really depressing moments in, in the whole filmography when he says, she loves him. Everything yes. is going to be okay.
2: <laughs> <And> so, oh, <laughs> it's later than you think. Oh, yeah. I so love Groucho's dancing here. He's not just doing the comedy dance and like in Animal Crackers. It's just a shame he didn't do more mm-hmm. of this in the films.
0: I agree. I always, lo- you know, I always love when comedians dance. I love watching Bob Hope dance. I love watching Groucho dance, and yeah, and so to something about you know you're, you're you know you're dealing with great vaudevillians where they can do it all. They sing, they dance, they, they can juggle. But uh, yeah, he's uh, <laughs> he kills me in that scene. Change of partner. The whole change of partner scene is, <laughs> you know, it's it's great, and he's just it's so dirty mm-hmm. and wrong and conniving and disrespectful, <laughs> and maybe that's why I love it in that moment. and
4: He's so idiosyncratic with the dancing. He's so graceful, but he's not mm-hmm. graceful the way anybody else who ever lived was graceful. Like mm-hmm. it's a sort of sloppy <laughs> grace. He has like his own gravity unto himself and, and, doesn't seem to move through space the way the rest of us do and Mm -hmm. um there's something about uh like you could watch him dance forever and it's mesmerizing but it seems pretty certain that if you put him in a chorus line he wouldn't be on the same foot as everyone else you know evidence of that is in
0: mr is mr music where you're very aware of him looking (laughs) watching his step uh (laughs) and uh and uh, I get it because I struggle with it when I'm doing numbers It's like, okay, I'm watching Groucho. How's Groucho? Because you're right. That that this dancing is remarkable, and he is in his own world. The way he, the way he the way he falls to, he falls beautifully. He Pratt falls beautifully in that scene with Esther Muir when he yeah. falls off the chair and just comes back. I don't even know why it's in there. Yes. <laughs> it just shows, it's who, but uh, but you know who else you know the fact that you could fall off your seat and it doesn't matter maybe is the point oh, he can
4: get away with it he doesn't He's like have tr- to. trying to see her past the gigantic centerpiece on right. the table and he falls <laughs> off the yeah. tomato of soup
0: yeah and he doesn't have to re- you know the point is he doesn't have to recover this it's going to go forward this exchange whether he falls or not or
1: yeah you know, I mean the, the physicality of all of them I mean they're 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 older than than me. And if I tried any of that stuff, I'd be laid up for a week now. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're fi- you're right. They're 50-ish. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, let's hurry on to Esther Muir then because she's really good. I think she's, she's, yeah. she's very, very good. She Wait, can, can have we go a,
2: back to one thing at the end of the water carnival? Sure.
5: You don't know how lonely I get night after night in my little room at the sanitarium. Room 412.
2: Perhaps I could come in and say good night
5: to you. Yes, we could have a midnight snack.
2: I found that was pretty forward of Maggie. Pretty, for, yeah. particularly for MGM. <laughs> yeah, right for MGM, Maggie. Mm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well,
4: who are you, May West? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, our, our mutual friend Ed Watts
1: uh, got to know Esther Muir a little bit when she was when she was older, uh-huh. and uh, at that time she had uh, she was living next door to Michael Jackson's Neverland Ranch, and really? she used to complain. Yeah, <laughs> apparently so. And she used to complain to Ed Watts that. His llamas used to escape and and eat her landscaping. <laughs>
4: um, are there, Poor lady couldn't get a break.
0: What about is there much on her in terms of later interviews in, ter- in, in, in regard to her work with the Marx Brothers?
4: Not a
1: great deal. No, there's one there's one very interesting contemporary interview where she says that they were extremely serious, took the work very seriously. And that Harpo was an expert on world politics. <laughs> and that's all she says. <laughs> huh.
0: It's interesting. Some of these folks lived a long time, as you know, and and I wish there had been more interest then, in capturing yes. capturing their, oh, me- their memories. And like I if always only. think, I always think about Margaret Dumont, and and we had the same. It's funny. I, uh, my one of my first agents was her last agent, a guy named Harold Gevsky and uh i i wish i'd picked his brain so he probably handled her for those last appa- television appearances those last film appearances got her work uh but you know it's uh, there's there's so much that i i guess there's i guess there's a tome coming out right apparently a book coming out that we read about on the council but yes, uh, i always wondering you know where is hmm. her where are her scrapbooks where are her costumes where
1: yeah you know
0: yeah. where where who knows the stories i want to i, wanted, I, I I want to know more about her.
1: Yeah, no there's so, there's so much that's that's missing about her, you know. She's she's we we only really get the the public face and and mm-hmm. Jane and Reg are finding out so much more right. about that public face that has been lost, but but the you know, the woman behind that face. Uh I mean she deliberately erased it, I think. Uh-huh. Sadly.
2: And she actually but, won an award. She won an award for this film. She won the yeah, Street Actors just, Guild for best right. the actress for uh, Day of the yes. actress, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's nice. It's very nice, isn't it? It's the sort of sort of thing that doesn't normally happen. You know, it's like Bella Lugosi getting an Oscar or something.
2: People lump her performances together like they're always the same, but she couldn't be more different here than she was, like in Animal Crackers and Coconuts. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a totally different character, a totally different performance. Mm-hmm.
4: If she had just lived another ten or twenty years, I mean, you just imagine the love. Oh my god! Would, only, uh, yeah. the fans.
1: Imagine her on Dick Cabot, you know? Ah, mm-hmm. uh,
4: yeah. Or in Skidoo. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Maybe she was better off. That's right. <laughs>
0: don't. So Esther Muir, so yes.
4: Yes,
1: and coming to the, uh, to the famous wallpaper scene, um, it, it struck me that because the film is so opulent and because MGM is so obviously high class, um, it's easy to not notice that actually the material in this film is pretty broader in many cases than almost any of their other films i can't think offhand of another film that's got a an extended messy slapstick scene like this Mm -hmm. um and then there's also later on you know a girl gets her clothes ripped off it's almost like a kind of a, a burlesque sort of a vibe isn't it
2: well i was thinking vaudeville but
0: i agree i i watched that the the wallpaper scene and the glee that harpo is manifesting is it's wonderful. I mean, you really get a sense of earlier Marx Brothers in that scene too. They're just, just, just wild, wild, and it's, it's wild physicality. Whi- yeah, yeah. I love the abandon of, of of that scene and and with the brothers. It's just so much fun to watch.
4: How much oh, yeah. work do you think Chico did on his Irish accent to play the? <laughs> uh... Yeah,
0: think of the the dialect coach.
4: Yeah, he had a dialect coach. That's right. I think it's just as convincing as his Italian accent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and the scene was actually a bit longer when they filmed it because there are some stuff where they play bellhops and there's a mm-hmm. seltzer yes. water that gets yeah. sprayed around that we've seen stills of, mm-hmm. but isn't oh, in, yeah. the, isn't in right. the finished scene. You
4: know the repeated mimicking of the thank yous, right? The thank you, thank you. Thank you. Uh, that when I see that now, I, I think well, it's undoubtedly funny, but sort of but slightly out of character. Mm-hmm. But um, I remember so specifically that on first viewing, like I first saw races when mm-hmm. I was about eleven, um, that is one of the things that um, made me senselessly titter for a, a long time. Oh. <laughs> Those thank yous, the way they um, Adamson talks uh, so eloquently about the way gags should tumble out like jelly beans out of a jar. Mm-hmm. Um, something about mm. the way you keep coming back to the thank yous in that scene. Um, boy, it got me so hard when I first saw it. She I beg your pardon? And who hasn't done that? Wow. <laughs> this t- this took a turn, this podcast.
0: You want to rephrase that? I always that? seem to do that.
4: <laughs> Didn't I? I did do that in the first episode. I said something about tasting the delicious essence. Noah,
0: of the I'm having a response to that line. It's very similar. That- <laughs> <laughs> Call...
4: Uh. Hey listen, you got to put in something for the kids.
0: That's right. You
4: got to work a little yeah. blue. Keep
0: it relevant.
4: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Estemire. Okay, I'm so kidding. then
4: we have um we have <laughs>
1: we have Chico and Harpo uh doing their music spot. Um I I find it a bit a little bit kind of not annoying but regrettable that Chico's spot is is increasingly shrunk down he's hardly got any he's got about a minute and a half here i think and then harper comes on and plays the piano first which is kind of an insult to him i i know i I get carried away on this point, but it just seems a shame to me that it that the one thing that he can do and nobody else in the act can do just gets shrunk and shrunk and shrunk and half out. But anyway, mm-hmm. forget that. <laughs> forget I spoke. That being, anyway, they have a music spot. And uh,
0: that being said, Chico's phenomenal in that solo. It's it's
2: so beautiful. Oh yes, yeah. <laughs> I always love the one or two moments in his uh, solo where he looks at right at the camera, and he does that here too. Yeah.
1: I love it when he does that. Yeah. yeah. So then we have the um, we have the first of the uh, Chico translating harpo sequences, which become a kind of a, a trademark, but a, a late trademark, and they begin here.
4: In a sense, it feels like an outgrowth of things like the fish flush flutes mm-hmm. bit and animal crackers. It, it's a it's a sort of twist on that idea, mm. um, and I I think by general consensus, a somewhat out of character twist. Um, and as Joe and others have said, it, Harpo seems to go from a character who doesn't talk here to one who can't, um, mm-hmm. even to the point of whistling in the melody of human speech mm-hmm. to indicate what he would be saying if he if he could. And um, there certainly are good laughs in this scene, but yeah. it, it does feel like sort of dealing with the Marx Brothers characteristics as though they are liabilities.
2: He always in the previously been able to communicate effortlessly, like with the swordfish. You know, it's just yeah. boom. He communicated exactly what he wanted. Here, it's a real effort for him.
1: Okay. So then, um, in comes Sig Ruman returning from a night at the opera, a big, a big hit in the night at the opera. So, so back he comes in, as, as I never tire of pointing out, uh, in, in one of his many, many, many appearances as a doctor who was called in to expose a fraudulent medical case. He does this in nothing sacred, living it up. The Fortune Cookie, and this film. So he's Hollywood's go-to man Mm -hmm. for uh, a medical expert who exposes fraudulent medical practices. Does (laughs) he succeed in any of these? He was good at that, huh? (laughs) Uh, I think he succeeds in the fortune cookie, doesn't he? But possibly that's the only time. I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh yeah, that's a, that was his stock in trade. But see, the curtain will go up again. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Um yes, so so <laughs> in comes SIG, and that ushers in the 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 up john examination scene, which is a, a glorious, mm-hmm. a glorious, very physical, very funny comedy scene. I love the washing of the hands over and over again. Um, I love the down by the old mill stream, which, of course, almost certainly features Harpo's voice. Um, There's the mystery of the pigeons who are mentioned for no reason and then appear at the end. Um, But also there's there's uh, it has been suggested that uh, Margaret Dumont is not only doubled in in some of those shots, but doubled by a man. Now, I, to me, this is plainly not the case. It certainly seems to me a woman. It's almost certainly Dumont. Uh, we know, obviously, that she did it on stage. Mm-hmm. So if there are any any kind of... Uh, if there is a good reason for it to be doubled, it would only be in just a very few of the most physical shots. The unravelling wig, obviously, isn't a clue because she did wear a wig. It, it certainly looks like her to me. But no question that she takes... An extraordinary amount of of, of physical uh, inconvenience in in the scene for a woman of her not only age but but dignity.
0: Does it look like a double to anyone else? I never noticed.
2: It. I was looking pretty closely too.
1: Just one, I think one or two shots where her where her legs are flying up in the air. Um, it's it's possible. Uh-huh. It might be someone else, but it, it certainly looks uh-huh. like a
2: woman to
4: me. I, and the fact that the scene was designed to be done on stage makes me, you know. Uh, yes. Hesitate to think that they would have included a, anything that needed a double. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah, I'm always impressed by how she rolls with it. How she, you know, the punches and animal crackers and this scene that she, she's so remarkably game. Mm-hmm. Just fantastic.
4: I was wondering how many times do you think Sam Wood made uh, Sig do the cutaway <laughs> shot of Dr. Steinberg fuming? <laughs> it keeps cutting, <laughs> and he just sort of stands and fumes. Um, but knowing <laughs> Sam, what he must have been, he must have done several hours of fuming that day. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the purse pulse joke—take her pulse, and, and they take her mm-hmm. purse—a mm-hmm. joke that that has um, wandered over from Monkey Business, um, which causes me to ask: I wonder to what extent the very premise of this movie comes from that little moment in monkey business where Groucho becomes a doctor and says, you know, where's the horse? And um, <laughs> yes. we do get a sort of mini day at the races in, in that scene mm-hmm. in monkey business. Yes. yeah. Uh, how about the uh, Harpo and Chico lab coats that say Joe's service station? Yeah, on the wonderful. Back? Yes. Yeah, that yes, feels yes. like slightly ahead of its time. That's like a, mm-hmm. a Zucker brothers mm-hmm. touch or something like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Because, you know, if they wanted white coats, they could have got them from that sanatorium, couldn't they? There's plenty of white coats there, but yeah. but no, you know, Chico yes. said, yes. it's okay, yes. we've, we've, we've got these white coats, yeah, don't, don't right. worry, we've got it
4: covered. Proud of their inappropriateness and fraudulence.
2: You know, and, and though the Marxists ride triumphantly out of there on the horse through the sprinklers, they basically fa- <laughs> failed in their attempts to uh, resolve the situation. So even though it's a great moment they have not really done anything to help themselves.
4: <laughs> <laughs> That's part of what's great about it, right? That it seems like old times.
2: Right, totally.
1: So then they, they strike a blow for racial tolerance with a, with a, an elaborate song <laughs> and dance number. I don't know if we I don't know if we want to go in detail into that, but uh,
2: that happens next. It's well done. I, I it's it's well done. I can't It's very well done. It's good stuff. There's yeah. a
4: lot of valid points you can make in its defense. I mean, the music is great. There's tons of amazing talent on display. Oh, the, and the dancing, the, the dancing's great. great. Yeah, and it was a vaguely progressive thing to include in the movie at the time. Right. Um, but I think, you know, it is, it is correct that the scene is now a little embarrassing, and it's okay mm-hmm. to be a little embarrassed by it. And mm. I don't think it's inappropriate to ask... Um, you know, we, we can admire MGM for like showcasing all of this black talent, um, but you know it's too bad that it couldn't also have treated them uh, more with more dignity on screen. Bill Mark speaks to it too. Harpo's
0: son, Bill, who said that uh, you know the, the the brothers were proud that they were able to bring in people of color and get them give you know provide employment and support their fellow performers
1: absolutely yeah i mean i can accept any i can accept any point of view on it the the only point that i would insist on making is that uh these were for the time an unusually um switched on guys i think they they were they were they were they were pretty astute on this stuff and as i say in my book not only did they not intend to cause offense if they even thought they had they would have been horrified and I think that's that's the last word, really. I, I can accept any opinion on it, but uh, but they would have been horrified.
2: Who putting together this film thought that this was the point for another long musical break? That's a good, that's a good, point. good point.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: <laughs> yeah it, it is just to showcase that talent, I think. Yeah. We get a little hung up on the uh, racial dimension of this sequence. And I think it's, it eclipses the gender stuff in this sequence. You know, it, the, it begins with um, Maureen O'Sullivan sort of quietly weeping and Alan Jones telling her, you know, look at those kids outside. They're having a good time. You're just a kid. Why don't you have a good time too? And it's like, you know, just a kid. She owns a sanitarium. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you unemployed singer and racetrack yeah. tout. <laughs> yes, yes,
1: yes. <laughs> um so yeah and then they have a horse race which harpo wins and that's the end of the film so uh, thanks for joining me and uh, uh, i don't know i mean I, I spoke quite a bit about the horse race last time so i i'll i'll kind of duck out is there is there more to say about that i mean it's it's a big it's a typical mgm my, you know my point you know forgetting the horse element which i've already spoken about my point is just that it doesn't really it doesn't really want to be funny it wants to be thrilling which seems odd to me but you know there we are
2: I will say that I think it's Sam Wood's greatest moment. I think that that scene is just beautifully directed. There's a lot of wonderful angles of the Marxes you know running through running through yeah. the crowd well,
0: I, it is it's, it was funny it was it struck me how beautifully edited it is and it's it's beautifully
2: shot. You're right, Bob. It works. not a ton of big laughs, but I love when they pull the rail open and the horses go running mm-hmm. out of the track, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: But I have, to say, I have to say kudos to the uh, to the stunt people in that film because I can't tell when it's the Marx brother or not, you know, or a stunt person. Sometimes,
2: yeah, much better than the later ones. They're uh, yeah, was so true. obvious. Yes.
1: Speaking of stunt people, I should raise a glass to the to the guy who um, is standing in for Groucho, walking along the the perimeter fence when all the cars are backed up, the railing, and uh, oh, through the
4: traffic. Yeah, yeah. And, and he yeah.
1: he yeah. he he slips and lands right. On the family jewels, but. The terrible thing is we get to see this happen twice from two angles. Um, Glenn Mitchell in his, in his DVD, DVD commentary says that it's a mistake that Thalberg would have spotted and dealt with because we're seeing the same shot from different cameras. But actually, if you look Uh (laughs) the first time he jumps onto another car, the second time he just kind of slides off the bonnet. So he really has (laughs) done it, done it twice. And you know, this being Sam Wood, he's probably done it about 40 times that day. Um, uh, oh, a line yeah. I wrote in my book that was cut, pr- presumably on the grounds of taste, was the observation: I bet he had to soak them in water that night, and I, I'll <laughs> bet he did. So, uh, so, yeah, whoever that man was, uh, we salute you.
0: You know, it's funny. I'm looking at those. Uh, you know, that those are the San Gabriel Mountains, and that, and I'm looking at them right now as we're doing this. That backdrop. That's that. That racetrack is one of the most beautiful tracks uh, in, in in the country. And the backdrop being the San Gabriel Mountains, so it's it's so f- fun to see your backyard in a, a Mark Brothers film. Yeah, it's yeah.
4: interesting that, uh, or maybe not interesting, but uh, but I'll talk about it anyway. <laughs> 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 that hi, hi- hat kind of it. it <laughs> I mean, it's not that interesting, but but uh, high hat sort of seems not to have won the race. But then it turns out the horses switched with the jockeys, and Harpo, mm. by rubbing the mud off of the number, mm. reveals that the horse that won the race turns out to have been high hat after all so it's this carefully and somewhat laboriously engineered victory (laughs) um but we don't really get the victory like you know there's not a thrilling we won moment there's a thrilling uh it turns out we actually won even though we thought we didn't moment and then you start thinking well the horse won but the jockey didn't win so
0: technically
2: (laughs) did high hat win i'm putting two dollars on rosie And then immediately they all rush onto the track and start singing. And, and
4: burst into song. Yeah. I don't know how else you would end that. And
2: like yeah.
1: the whole film, if nothing else, like the whole film, that, that, that ending is joyous. I mean, it is wonderfully happy. Uh, it's, you know, whatever, however cynically one wants to kind of view their 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 career at MGM It is it is joyous in a way that the ending of their later MGM films aren't. I think it it leaves anyone smiling. I think.
2: I think there's one big question left unanswered, though, is Judy's going to have to find somebody else to run the place because now that it's exposed (laughs) that Hackenberg is a fraud. (laughs) Yes, good point. Those poor patients. Who is going to take care of them? Oh, the malpractice suits Uh, are going to uh, become flying. (laughs) You know. Can you imagine the headlines? (laughs) And then we fade out the credits. Let me go. One thing in the credits, Flo. First of all, her name is in quotation marks. It's in quotes, yes. Uh Mm -hmm. And second of all, now I'm watching again. I realize she's never called that in the film. Isn't she just called Miss Marlowe a couple of times? I don't recall her. Is she ever Mm -hmm. called Flo? Mm -hmm. Is she ever called Flo in the film? Maybe not. I don't think so. In IMDb, it says "Cokie Flo" for for reasons (laughs) that I don't understand. After this film, uh,
0: in terms of just the uh, product, the, the elegance of Dumont, in terms of how she com- how she's dressed, and the marks where well, there's just something it, it gets it gets just seamier from this point on in terms of how yeah. she you know it, it's it's just a little it all, it all feels a bit
4: below standard. Mm-hmm. I feel. It does feel, as Matthew said at the beginning, uh, you know, Day at the Races, you know, maybe it's the end of the beginning, maybe it's the beginning of the end. But I, I think it is clearly the last time we really feel like the Marx Brothers are um, a phenomenon, that they're mm-hmm. in their, you know, something close to their prime, maybe not yeah. as well served by their writers as they had been. But mm-hmm. um the the boys themselves seem still entirely capable of their full measure of greatness here.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Despite my nitpicks along the way here, uh, I think this is a pretty fun film. My only thought is that when you read about the earlier treatments and the earlier versions of the film that could have been made, you sort of wish they had gone more in the, that direction. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't it
0: really boil down to not having a strong hand or someone who cares about you? Uh, and I think that's all of show business. There's no one who cares, really. Th- Thalberg, he cares. He's invested, mm-hmm. and if no one cares, it's 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 over. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I feel that when you know, we all, anyone in, who's in the in that world, will, knows that you need an advocate. And where's the advocate mm-hmm. after after this film? Never, mm-hmm. And I don't think it ever it never happens, does it?
1: Yeah, I mean, Mervin Leroy did did try, but uh, but he then ducked out almost instantly, and and that was that. Yeah, it is it is it is a it is a sort of a.
4: Uh, a sad story begins at that point. Night in Casablanca has a little bit of spirit behind it. I mean, a little sense of, hey, wait a minute, let's make a Marx Brothers movie, see if we can, you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. But,
1: um, let's make a Marx Brothers film that's about the Marx Brothers. Yeah. That yeah. might
0: be the, the only one I'm crazy, that, that I actually find fun and amusing and after a day at the races yep. is a Night in mm-hmm. Casablanca. For the yeah. reasons that you're suggesting that there's that spirit, Noah.
2: They seem to be the only one that they... Of the remaining films that they wanted to make, the other ones they had to make mm-hmm. for various reasons. That would seem to be the one that mm-hmm. they wanted to make, mm-hmm.
4: and they were producers of it too, weren't they? So, yeah, so
3: yeah,
0: incentive, incentive. There, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, seems like after uh, r- races. I remember Arthur Marks telling me like uh, his father was p- planning his his demise from the time he was, you know, around that age fifty. I think he was <laughs> just very depressed and re- literally thinking he wasn't going to make it much longer.
2: I understand how sincere Grouch was in that feeling. I don't doubt it, but I'm not really sure I, I buy it. It's not like Thalberg was the only one who could make a good Marx Brothers film. There were plenty of people around who had made the great films beforehand. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, they never seemed to turn in that direction.
4: When Thalberg died, they lost him as a leader and as a, an advocate, but they did inherit this whole set of rules from him that they thought seemingly were the secret to yes. doing it right. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like Thalberg's directives outlived his enthusiasm. Mm. Um, they were sort of left with all the may, – maybe the stuff that actually – didn't feed the greatness of opera and races, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Yeah. right? Well, it's funny when I when I uh, I saw I saw Groucho in person when at the, toward the end of his life, he was you know eighty six years old, and someone asked Groucho uh, what his favorite Marx Brothers movie is, and he said uh, Duck Soup, and then he paused and said A Night at the Opera, and so I wonder if the conflict the conflict is there, you know, in, a, in a, you have this Duck Soup, which is this wild Paramount film that we all mm-hmm. love. And yet, a night at the opera and and that Thalberg experience meant so much. That kind of validation that they got after so many years and after mm-hmm. you know leaving Paramount, having someone care about you and love you and want to take you to that next level. You know, I think that's what Groucho loved as much as perhaps the film, mm-hmm. yeah, itself is 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 what's what's wrapped around that experience of working at MGM, yes. the high end studio, all of it.
1: The important thing about Thalberg is that he had nothing to gain himself. You know, David Lowe and, um, what's he called, Lester Cowan, you know, they, they they were kind of, you know, quick buck merchants. But Irving Thalberg didn't need them. He did not need them. He simply wanted them. And I think that made a huge difference.
2: Yeah, but as we've mentioned before, the number one thing Thalberg did, which resulted in a great Marx Brothers film, was get the very best writers, the yeah. Marx's. Ever had? Yeah, uh, all those rules could be thrown out the window. Um, if you have George S. Kaufman writing mm-hmm. a film, you're going to have a great, great comedy.
0: It's funny, and you know, we can. It, this film, though, still exhilarates me. A Day at the Races still mm-hmm. tickles me. As, I mean, makes me laugh as much as anything. I mean, as many times as I've seen it, just watching it again today. Bob, Noah, and Matthew it's like, "Oh my gosh! I'm, I am, I'm still thrilled. Mm-hmm. This is thrilling, and I still marvel at the in the seamless." kind of approach and the technique and you don't you don't see any of the the work it, it's wildly mm. intoxicating this film for me because it certainly goes back to my you know my childhood this yeah. experience yeah. this, this transformative experience but boy to be able to still belly laugh looking at some of this at, after all these years is yeah. it says a lot about about those involved and the, and the transcendent talent of the of the brothers
1: frank we can't let you go uh, just yet before we ask you a few of the questions that have been submitted by the members of our facebook group okay and i'd like to start with one from craig peters who says that you've played in many theaters where the brothers themselves performed is there anyone that stands out for any particular reason I
0: played the Lyric Theater in Allentown, Pennsylvania, which, and, and Noah will have more uh, info on this than, than probably anyone else, but I think that is the first place Alsatia has played. Yes, is that indeed. Correct? Yeah, the very and first it,
4: performance.
0: And it only played a few performances, if I recall. Well, I wasn't there, but if I recall from the research, uh, and what you you shared, you Noah? Know, I believe they had a, a very like almost like a split. Was like a like half a week? Maybe was it?
4: It was like a pre tryout. The real tryout, of course, was was in Philadelphia. But um, right. uh, James Bury, who was one of the producers, um, had a connection in Allentown. It was his hometown, and he mm-hmm. decided uh, he was nervous enough about this production to um, have a even before bringing it to Philadelphia, do like one weekend in Allentown.
0: Right. So I was there. I was at the, it was at the time it was called the Lyric Theatre, and that was extremely moving to me, uh, having played the Walnut Streeters many times in various shows, Marx and non marx related in my, in, in my career. And I would have to say though, that my favorite spot where the Marx Brothers played was, is, is the Walnut Street Theatre, where, as we know, they had the you know the, the major success uh, that catapulted them to New York. And uh, I was when I played uh, in Groucho Life and Review in 1993 at the Walnut, uh, there was a, that was seventy years after their run uh, of Alsatias, and this man in his about 87 year old man comes up to me after the show and he said, "I saw the Marx Brothers here seventy years ago." Wow, and uh, Harpo dr- Harpo drops silverware on that exact same spot where that young man dropped two hundred pieces of silverware. Uh, Those are the great moments. Um, so that that happens on a very rare occasion. Beautiful. Yeah. So I would say that to answer your question, I would say the Walnut Street Theater. Mm.
2: Okay, I got one here from Christopher Johnson. I believe he attended one of your shows in Palm Desert, California, and some of the Marks family was there. And he wants to know if there's any added pressure when you are performing in front of real live marxes uh
0: a, a little bit uh you know it's changed you know i've done it so long now but initially to to perform you know when you're when i was 22 doing this in 1985 86 it was nerve-wracking to do it uh, to perform Raucho before arthur marx certainly um and also exciting uh but th- you know they've always been very uh very supportive you know bill marks has been a great advocate as 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 has groucho's kids arthur and uh, and and miriam but but there is you know you want to be accurate you want to be honoring of the of the spirit of, of of their family it's an unusual thing to have played you know i played before maxine and uh, gummo's son bob there's so many um but it does give you know i think more at this point more than anything it it's it's exciting for me and it gives me that extra oomph and uh it it even keeps me even more focused than I generally am for a performance, but um, it, it's it's a joy to see people, the audience respond uh, to the material, to the characters, and then realize that the family member is able to take you know to feel that response, that the love, there's so much love for the for the Marx mm. brothers still, and the humor that uh, that they yeah. you know that they still conjure. For us, in every form, whether it's uh, through my show or through revivals like Noah's doing, or even through the you know books and uh, like you're up to Matthew, uh, it's great to see the kind of feedback that you get from family. Yeah. But uh, to to me, it's it's you know they Arthur our, you know today is uh, we as we taped this today is uh, Miriam would have been Miriam's ninety first birthday, and it's also the anniversary, isn't it, of the uh, of Alsatia's uh, on Broadway? So here we are at uh, and I was look. <laughs> I was looking at uh speaking of family members, but I was looking at uh day at the race day and the, to, uh, that during the Who that man number uh the calendar of of dates that go by include today's date it's a few days in May. I don't know if you saw that but uh
2: uh-huh. yeah. good so, catch. Yes. good catch
0: but to answer the question it uh it's it is nerve wracking I remember being in London doing playing old groucho and and on the west End and and being in rehearsal and singing. In doing the last monologue where Groucho says farewell to his brothers, it's 85-year-old, 86-year-old Groucho saying, goodnight, Chico, and goodnight, Harpo, you know, et cetera. And then I sing, uh, I'll stay a week or two, I'll stay the summer through, and I do that bit, must be going. And I'd done it many times prior. I did it in Kansas City as a tryout in a dinner theater. We did it in New York. And I'd done it hundreds of times prior. And Arthur, who was also the director, Arthur Marx was the director of that piece as well, I looked at him at the end of that, and he was teary-eyed, and and he's not he's not a sentimental was not a sentimental man at all. And he said, said uh, he said Frank, did you uh hmm. did you know my father? I said no, I didn't know your father. I, you know, I didn't know your father. And that was uh, but he was. We had that was one of those great moments where I realized that uh, uh, there was a, a spiritual connection happening here with with, with between me and Ar- and Arthur and Groucho and me and. Arthur and Grouch. It's a beautiful, it's a thick thing that it's a very, uh, multi-layered experience. I had being able to, to, to develop this kind of work, uh, with the approval and presence of family.
2: Yeah. It's one thing to be able to channel the performing Groucho, but to actually capture the man where it affects his son like that is quite a, quite a thing.
0: Yeah. And he was, you know, he was a cynical guy, Arthur, and he, he didn't suffer fools gladly. And, oh. um, yeah, it was uh, it was one of those great moments. I won't I won't forget.
4: Here's a question for you, sir, from the man who posts on the Marx Brothers Council and elsewhere under the name Groucho Marx. <laughs> sounds familiar to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asks. I love this question because it it predates even uh, the career and and takes us back to childhood. Mm-hmm. Frank, do you remember the very first time you put on a mustache?
0: I do the first time and I'm embarrassed to say this because I've never answered this question or before is that I remember going into my parents' bathroom and my mother's I got, had mascara and I took her mascara <laughs> and I just put it below my nose above my lip <laughs> And uh, that was the beginning. It was yeah. a very closeted moment. You know, I was <laughs> I was doing I was doing my Groucho drag, and my parents' There was a lot of shame and um, pride all at once. Which is Yes, man, what are you doing in there? Young man? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. The prepubescent youth. You know, they only knew. Um, anyway, yes. Yeah.
1: Um, if you had access to a time machine, would you go back and see the Marxes in Vaudeville, Broadway, or Hollywood?
0: God, that's a great question. It's a toss-up almost between vaudeville and Broadway, but I think I'd love to have seen them in their prime, uh, in, a, in Animal Crackers, just killing it, ripping it. You know, mm-hmm. it, to, to experience the, the 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 culmination of all those years in, in vaudeville, yeah. to see them being honored and to have people standing for them and cheering, to see them getting the type of recognition and response that they always deserve. I think to to experience that exhilaration to be front row center to see those brothers yeah live uh yeah. in animal crackers uh that that would be the place for me to go
1: yeah i agree with that um has there ever been an uncomfortable instance where an individually directed ad lib was taken the wrong way
0: well i'm always impressed that i've never been hit you know i do a lot of uh <laughs> by the audience i've done a lot of interactive comedy in, in the circ, the cirque world uh which i play in i think an even brasher character and more uh, a uh, more offensive um, uh, <laughs> figure, okay, this Latin lover character. But somehow I've figured out how to how to f- strike the balance. You know, I've gotten really good over the years, I think, uh, in terms of picking uh, people to play with. Uh, yeah. You yeah. know, I, I I have a very selective memory. I tend to like let go of the stuff that that uh, that <laughs> that's not so great, and hang on to the positive <laughs> stuff. But uh, I'm sure I've offended. People, I'm sure people have have walked, you know. This, you know, may may not have dug it or have walked out. But I, uh, offhand, I can't. You know, I've gotten, you know, you know. The bottom line is, I want people to um, experience this type of humor, the Brothers humor, and Groucho. Mm. And um, I I remember offending someone in the front row and somewhere in Massachusetts, and just he just just couldn't take the teasing, and I think he was maybe off balance. That was my. <laughs> that was my take on it, <laughs> but you know, you don't know who you're getting. You're getting all, you know. I've now it's been hundreds of thousands of people I've played to. You're going to get all kinds of folks with various conditions and uh, mm-hmm. and uh, anyway, mentally and. But no, uh, this I don't have a funny story. I'm sorry. No, but, no, um, i <laughs> fine. kinda uh, But I've had a I've had a hell of a lot of fun at determining who 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 can t- who I can play with. I was just talking. My I was in Milwaukee this a year ago and there was a 16-year-old girl who uh who was uh on her iPhone and or, or, and and I kind of teased her with it and uh she had a bit of a fit and uh, my daughter was in the audience at the time and she witnessed kind of what an actor has to deal with when someone uh does not take to it well uh you know I have I have called I've had phone calls happen in the middle of shows and I have spoken to that person on the phone, you know, and, and said things I'm here with your, your wife, you know, your wife is here with another man or something <laughs> like that. And, uh, you know, I've turned it's, it's and and Dame Edna Everage, uh, Barry Humphreys has done stuff, has done bits like that. And I, you know, I keep studying the masters Groucho certainly ongoing,
2: but, um, there you have it. Okay. I have one more here from our friend, Rodney. Uh, I'm going to paraphrase this one. Do you ever have a conflict between something you think is funny and what Groucho might actually say?
0: Uh well, uh, I'm always, nav- you know, negotiating what I should say. What's what feels authentic? Uh, what, what what would what's you know what's what would his voice be here? What would what would he be thinking here? A lot of the a lot of the material, a lot of the improv is 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 set improv. You know, stuff I've said many times, and some of the stuff is new, and it, and it's really combining uh the set is a so-called set improv uh along with fresh fresh responses and, and which is what what Groucho did on you bet your life and on on stage as well on and, and, and most comedians do comic actors do who work in that vein
1: Okay, this one, I think, is is a stroke of genius. I think this is probably the best question you've ever been asked in your life. And funnily enough, this one actually comes from. I'm not going to embarrass myself by trying to pronounce his name, but it comes from the guy who is is famous for being the one who's who's the guy who's seen the Hungarian print of A Night at the Opera with the with the extra bits. Oh yes. Um, and he wants he wants to know this. Groucho had issues with finding comfortable shoes. Do you purposefully buy uncomfortable shoes for the part, or do you feel that you can accurately represent him without this vital characteristic?
0: I have to tell you, this is a thing for a for a person who works on stage uh, 24 hours a day <laughs> for 35 years. Uh, I had extremely uncomfortable wingtip, heavy wingtip shoes that were like felt like concrete on my feet, and they're extremely uncomfortable. And uh, I'd never thought about the Groucho connection to that. I recently bought lighter weight <laughs> shoes, uh, which helped me now. Uh, who knows what the impact of the uh, uncomfortable <laughs> shoes have been on my work. Maybe the work has gone downhill since I've gotten the comfortable yeah. shoes. I don't know. I can't judge that. I'll let others judge that. But that's a funny question. But my, yeah, my I'd worn my shoes for so long and they were so old that the the leather had gotten I can't believe we're talking about this
1: <laughs> very, very last one. And this really is, is yes or no, but I, I would get told off if I didn't ask it. When you were in Cincinnati, did you have Cincinnati style chili?
0: Well, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I got to play, uh, six weeks in Cincinnati, uh, at the play, uh, you know, <laughs> right. at the Cincinnati Playhouse. It's a great theater. It's like two time Tony award winning theater. It's a gorgeous, I love the town and I did not have the chili. Because I, was, nuts. I, I did not have the, it's a you no. It and I'll best. tell you, I'll tell you why. <laughs> I, I believe it. I actually try to watch what I'm eating when I'm doing eight, eight shows a week. And if I start with stuff like that, I won't stop because I have a compulsive nature and I'll be having the, the chili, right. you know, every meal, but I did have duck soup and I did have duck soup quite, quite a bit in Milwaukee because there was a adjacent uh, restaurant in that, to that, to that venue, which is, has, means nothing whatsoever.
1: <laughs> frank ferranti thank you so much for joining us that was a blast
0: uh matthew thank you thank you for what you're doing with the with the the council and bob thank you and noah thank you very much for including me i appreciate it
2: thanks so much frank thank you captain <laughs> thank you professor
1: <laughs> thank you for joining us for episode three of the marx brothers council podcast more will inevitably follow if you entered our competition to win a copy of noah diamond's book give me a thrill uh, all you need to do is return to the blog post and underneath your comment there will be a comment from me and it will say you are the lucky winner so all you have to do then is just message us with your address and you'll get a book uh it won't be signed by noah because i've got it so i can sign it if you want but there's really very little point uh, and anyway, <laughs> in any case you'll get a free book that's the point so uh that's it thanks for joining us thank you very much once again to frank ferrante for joining us Uh, and do tune in next time please as always tell your friends leave a comment all that stuff and we will be back very soon with episode four of the Marx Brothers Council podcast until then here is Mr Alan Jones and he's got a message from would you believe the man in the moon
3: I've got a message from the man in the moon for you just you said to tell you there's a bench in the park for two. Just two. I know you should be sleeping, and I'm keeping you awake, but I'm just delivering a message. It all I've got the message saying love will be round to call. And then, if we don't meet him, he may never be round to call again. The evening found me lonely, and I thought you might be lonely.